Uh, today's scripture reading is going to be Luke chapter 12, and we're going to go from verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, so then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his splendor was, dressed, was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all these things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not, never fail, where no thief comes near, and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right. It's amateur hour here at church. Which is good, because one of the first things that I wanted to say is, um, I'm a normal person, you guys. And campus ministry is not for the quote-unquote professionals. Yes, this is my job, but it's not like there's something magical about the people that go and do that. We're just normal humans that are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus and invite other people to do the same thing. <laughs> so I don't want there to be a weird sense of mysticism or like, I don't know. I, I, I just hate that because this is just a normal person, normal people trying to do something that God has asked us to do. And um, that was the first thought that I had when Pastor Jen was like, hey, could you speak a little bit about this? And I was like, oh yeah, I can tell you how normal I am. <laughs> Um, but I think that's super important for you to know because one of the things that I super value about being a member of this congregation is that we're all just normal people. And even on my way in this morning, I was thinking how cool it was that I could just come and hang out in God's house with God's people. 
and that be a place of rest and a place where I don't have to perform and a place where you don't have to look a certain way or act a certain way or anything like this. And it's just nice to be able to be home in God's house with each other. And that's, like, I genuinely felt that on the way in when I was coming in. Then Pastor Jen's like, hey, could you? Yeah, and I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and I, like, yeah, I was trying to figure out what to say. But um, basically the stuff, the st- what you need to know about what campus ministry is, is there's basically two functions. One is we want to have a ministry of discipleship where we train people in what it means to follow Jesus. And two, we want to have a ministry of evangelism where we are reaching out to students to establish a relationship with Jesus. People that would never walk through a church door, um, we get the privilege of interacting with them on a daily basis. And hopefully the goal, the hope, the prayer being that that would be a ministry of hospitality where people would feel comfortable enough to sit down and chat and get to know somebody who knows Jesus and trust them so that they can eventually trust Jesus. The hope and the goal in all of that is that anybody, as I wrote in my thank you note, no matter where your starting point is, that you take one step closer to him. Whether that's from a place of, I feel like you're in a cult, to, okay, maybe you're not so weird, cool, one step closer to Jesus. (laughs) Or whether that's, oh wow, like, I didn't know who Jesus was and now I do, cool. Or whether that's, I grew up in the church and yes, I know Jesus, but I don't know what that looks like to follow him in this new stage of life. All cool, right? So there's a ton of things that I could tell you. There's a ton of things that I could, um, stories that I could walk you through, people that I could introduce you to. Um, but in only just wanting to share just a, a quick, brief moment, um, uh, one of my, one of my, like, awesome, like, happy stories from this last year, um, I met a student named Emmy. She was a transfer student. She lives out in Lynn, Massachusetts. First two years of the pandemic, she uh, was in college in uh, Albany, New York, far away from home, uh, for music. And she transferred to Worcester State this year. Her boyfriend is super involved in um, the African-American church, which is very, very expressive. And she, fr- she comes from a Catholic background, which is very not expressive. <laughs> and so <laughs> blessings on both of those traditions in the faith, and, but that kind of feeds into her story. So she, uh, this, these are her words that I was madly writing down as we were talking through. And she goes, um, uh, so when she first started to go to her boyfriend's church, um, she got this sense of, or no, sorry, before that, she goes to college, and she uh, has grown up in the Catholic Church, and, um, you know, that's kind of her mom's thing. She doesn't really, you know, go to church unless she goes to church with her mom. She goes off to college, and being far away from home, and the pandemic hits, and being in a super stressful major, she starts to have some really hard times, and she starts to just kind of really, you know, feel being away from everybody, you know, transitioning to college. She starts to ask, herself, well, how do I pray? And she doesn't really go to church, except when she's with her mom, and so she, as she starts to date her boyfriend, she's exposed to this very expressive tradition of the faith, and she starts, in her words, she goes, I'm seeing people comfortable in church, and that made me very uncomfortable. (laughs) And, yeah, and she's like, then she goes, even though, um, even though their comfortability with God and praising God um, made me uncomfortable, I, I still wanted to go there. Like, she still wanted to be around that, even though that was uncomfortable. And then over time, I was longing for that, to be comfortable with being in church without thinking someone was looking at me or that I'm, am I doing this right? 
Some of you guys can relate to that, right? So she was putting herself in environments, like the retreat she came on with us and going to church, putting herself in environments, um, but also just trying to seek God and to um, seek God in his word and in music. And she came to this understanding that she needed Jesus because everything else that she was asking, everything else she was seeking for, to have happiness in, um, never fulfilled her. It was never enough. In her words, she said, always um, she heard my mom speaking of God because I was introduced to that at a very young age. I wanted to seek him for myself. And because I was, di- because I was discontent, I came to a point where I was like, I need to find that in God. I'm not going to find that anywhere else. So learning that Jesus is his own person and not a vending machine or a fairy godmother, that was a step of faith for her. Um, And then she goes, and I can remember this clearly, she goes, I came to you, Kathleen, and I was like, who is Jesus? And I was like, okay, well, let's sit down. Let's have a chat. (laughs) So over, she did that in the fall, and over the fall semester and into the spring semester, um, every week we would meet, and she was coming to the realization that you don't just um, get what you want from God, uh, but there are, uh, or, or to, you don't just go to him to get the things of the world. And instead, fulfillment is having peace no matter what is happening around her. So get this, you guys. The reason that she's writing all this stuff out and the, the way, reason that I'm sitting down and chatting with her is because she's getting baptized on June 4th, 5th. And I, I might not be here. I have to talk to the deacons about it. But I might not be here because I might be in Lynn to go see her get baptized. And... This person, she, has, she had people who knew Jesus in her life, but she needed somebody to sit down with her, walk her through how did all these pieces fit together, and how could, this, how could this be something that was hers and not just her boyfriend's, and not just somebody else's, not just her mom's. Um, and this is, in a, in a way, it's taken me a long time to realize this, but I think one of, my, one of the things that I, that I love to offer people, and I hope, I think, that this is the way the Holy Spirit works in me, is a ministry of listening and a ministry of asking good questions and providing a safe space for people. I've sat down with folks that are like, why are you sitting down with me? Don't you know that I do X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, yeah, but let's just, let, let's, let's talk about your budget <laughs> as a way of like, like actually establishing trust with someone. I've sat down with folks that, um, like there was, in being on all honesty, if I can be honest, uh, fall retreat. I'm pretty sure somebody was smoking pot on our retreat. And I was like, well, what do we do about that? Like, you know, so this, this is the real world, and this is a real space where people are coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, and we want to we want to walk with them in a way that they can see Jesus, not just in the words we say, but in the way that we carry ourselves, in the way that we interact with them. So I would I would just love for you guys to know that this is what you are participating in. This is not something that I go do. This is something that you are participating in, in your prayers and even in your financial support of the church because through that, you are actually helping me go do that. I recently um, stepped away from a part-time job so that I can go and do this full-time. So you are enabling that. You're enabling me to go hang out yesterday. I was at Fitchburg State's graduation. I saw a student I hadn't seen in, in two or three years. He completely walked away from the faith and he just happened to show up at graduation and help us sell concessions. Hmm. Just happened to do that. Very interesting. Um, but that kind of longevity, that kind of relationship built over time, that kind of trust is what enables folks to actually have a real transformational encounter with Jesus. So if you're ever interested, if you want more stories, I love to tell stories. Come hang out. Come chat. Um, but uh, yeah, 
that's a little it's a little trip on campus for you. So thank you so much for helping me and uh, so many others do that because it's pretty awesome to have a front row seat. So thanks, guys. Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So, um, how about those gas prices? <laughs> uh, they're getting a little crazy. And um, certainly there have been a lot of conversations about those. Let's be honest here. How many of us, at least some of the time these days, are legitimately worried about inflation and food prices and gas prices in the near future? Okay. Today's parable is for us. Um, I do want to make a little note. The parables, we're preaching parables from Luke. We're not preaching all the parables from Luke because there are a lot of them and we would spend as much time in Luke as we did in Matthew last year, which may not be terrible, but there's other things for us to look at this year. Um, so I've kind of selected them and I'm not doing them in order, but I think it's sort of um, the order that they are ending up falling in. Um, there's a logic to it. And one of the things is, last week we talked about the mother hen and protecting the chicks from danger, and I feel like the parables that are coming up are really about what it looks like if the chicks decide to run to their mother hen for protection. So, um, we've talked about frame stories around the parables, so maybe you guys are a little familiar with that concept by now. What is the frame story for this? particular parable, what's, what's happening that causes Jesus to tell this story? Uh, okay, so he, his disciples are around, and he definitely talks to them after this parable, them specifically. Uh, before that, what's the lead-in? Right, some dude says, hey, Jesus, my brother's not sharing the inheritance with me. Tell him to split it up. So, we need a little context, which we have, but wasn't in the reading for today. Um, so before this, we read, in the, a couple of verses before this, we read that Jesus is teaching a crowd of many thousands. And what he's teaching them in, in the teachings, he's warning them about the Pharisees. They need to watch out for the Pharisees. And he's also warning about what is going to happen if people commit their lives to him. He's, you know, he says, people are going to not, you know, the Pharisees are starting to oppose me, and if you follow me and you align your life with mine, people are not going to be so happy with you either, and you might get taken into court, and um, these things could happen. Don't worry, because you will be given what to say. It's kind of like the mother hen is going to protect the chicks. He says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. It's pretty amazing. And then, no segue, this person is just like, hey, Jesus, what about the inheritance? 
that my brother is not sharing with me. <laughs> Seems like sort of out of nowhere, but I think for anybody that has done any kind of teaching, um, two of our teachers are not here today, but um, all of us have had probably some experience of teaching or mentoring people before. Sometimes your student is ready to be challenged forward, and sometimes they're just not there yet. They're just not where you are yet, and they're not quite ready to get there. And um, so sometimes Jesus, who is obviously the ultimate teacher, um, sometimes he challenges his listeners to get beyond where they're at, to think beyond where they're at. And sometimes he dials back a little bit and teaches them right where they are so that he can bring them forward. So this is what happens here. This is like if you said to your friend, there's a war in Ukraine, and I'm wondering if the seven seals of Revelation are being broken, and we need to be alert for the Antichrist. And your friend says, dude, I just need to figure out how to pay next month's rent. This is pretty much what's happening. This is the dynamic here, um, except it's not exactly like that, because I'm pretty sure Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about, and I am not convinced that any of us totally know what we're talking about when we talk about the end times. But <laughs> it's a... It's a basic parallel. Um, so the fact is, it is important for us to know how to live our daily lives even when the world is going crazy around us. It's important. So this guy's question isn't really totally out of left field after all, maybe. This man is concerned because, so probably he's not the oldest son. If this is a problem, if he's not getting any of this inheritance, he's probably not the oldest. We know from Old Testament stories that the oldest son would always get everything, and the youngest son might get something, but not a lot. Um, we don't know a whole lot about inheritance laws in the New Testament times, or at least I couldn't find anything on a quick internet search. Um, but we do know that in the parable of the prodigal son, which is coming up, both sons, the youngest son, asked for his inheritance first. So they were expecting to get something. Both of them were expecting to get something. Um, this guy, though, at least the way he asks the question, and we know sometimes we don't actually present things the way they really are, but he's kind of saying, my brother's got all the inheritance. Tell him to share some. Like, I, I got nothing. And Jesus sort of sounds a little cranky in his response. He's like, why are you asking me to arbitrate for you? Um, and he might have been a little annoyed. Sometimes when you're teaching and people are not quite where you're trying to get them to go, it's a little frustrating. This man is talking about an inheritance of somebody who died, and Jesus is talking about life and death ultimate life and death, if you're brought before the magistrate and you have to testify about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to tell you what to say. So, so there's a little, you know, he's kind of being brought back. But Jesus is still going to do what a good teacher does. He's going to meet the man where he is, and he's going to try to shift him and everybody else who's listening, because this is a crowd of thousands, to where he needs to be. And we could sum up this whole teaching that was in that passage that Kathleen read for us, in one statement, which Jesus himself says, which is, 
life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So then we get to this parable. <coughs> and the parable is about a rich guy, and he's got a farm, I guess, and he's got very fertile ground, so he has this huge harvest. And uh, it's important to note here that um, rich people are probably not the majority of the people that Jesus is talking to. Some of us in this church have a little bit more material resources than others of us, but this is not a super wealthy community here. And so we, generally speaking, are the kind of people that Jesus would be talking to. He's talking to poorer people. Um, they didn't have these terms back then because their society wasn't quite set up like this, but essentially blue-collar workers um, people who, or farmers, people who were working the land, didn't have a lot of resources. And uh, sometimes Jesus tells stories about rich people because he's trying to help the poor people hear him. Um, so he, he kind of makes this rich man in this parable the bad guy. He's going to do that in at least one other parable, too. Um, what that does, first of all, it makes the parable work, because it wouldn't work very well if you put the, a poor person into the story. You couldn't make the same point. But if, if he's kind of poking at rich people, the poor people can hear it, because they're not that rich guy, and they can hear through the story that, oh, you know what, maybe there's not as much of a difference between somebody who's materially wealthy and someone who's materially poor as I thought. Maybe the bigger difference is whether my soul is rich or poor. That's the difference. This is what Jesus is trying to point out here. So he's talking to a bunch of poor people about a rich guy with a farm, and this rich guy is trying to figure out how in the world am I going to store all this bountiful harvest that I have. Well, that seems like a good problem, right? <laughs> so he figures out how he's going to store it. He builds a bunch of new barns. He, gets, he probably has someone else build them for him. And he's satisfied with himself. He's really happy. He's gotten himself to a place financially where he feels secure. And so he plans to retire early and just enjoy his life. Sounds nice, right? <laughs> this is the American dream. <laughs> um, it's probably also a few other people's dreams because I think that's partly why Jesus is telling this story too. Everybody's like, yeah, please, can I have that life? This is my goal. This is why we try to earn money, so we can retire early and enjoy the good life, right? So let's have a conversation real quick before we go on. Um, what is wrong with this guy's approach? Aren't we supposed to be responsible for our futures? Do we not need to, you know, work and provide for ourselves? Plan ahead. Plan ahead? Yeah, right. What? Okay, there's no mention of God in the process, so that's, that could be part of it. Okay, there's a difference between planning for your future and being selfish. Right. 
you guys ever seen that bumper sticker that says I'm spending my kids inheritance? <laughs> Some people take pride in that. <laughs> um, I don't know if they even make that bumper sticki- sticker anymore, but I remember it in the 80s. It was everywhere. Um, so, yeah. Um, sometimes people, th- it definitely causes strife, doesn't it? Um, I've talked here before, although it probably was in 2019, so you would be excused if you don't remember it or if you weren't even here (laughs) at the time. But when I was in my 20s, I went on the mission field and I I had to raise support like Kathleen does, and I had the option to raise an amount that would include something put away for retirement. And I thought, no, no, that's... Why would I do something like that? That's not trusting God, and so I didn't. And that was probably not the best idea. <laughs> um, however, however, God is faithful. And what God says to this guy here who has prepared, he has done the work to grow this fabulous crop, and he's stored it up and been responsible with it and now he just wants to enjoy it and God basically says, you idiot, you're going to die tonight and who's going to benefit from all this stuff? And you might think idiot is strong, but we talked about Jesus giving Herod a nickname last week and so to be honest, the Bible usually translates this where God says, you fool, but it's the same thing. I really like the translations, which the NIV doesn't do this, but the translations of the Bible, um, the King James puts it this way, and the, New King, uh, the Kingdom New Testament um, puts it this way, where the man says, I shall say to my soul, not myself, my soul, soul, you've got many good things stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and have a good time. But God said to him, fool, this very night your soul will be demanded of you. Now who's going to have all the things you've got ready? That's how it is with someone who stores up things for himself and isn't rich before God. So, how do we be rich before God? What in the world does that even mean? Okay, praising him, trusting God. Sam, you just got all the way there. Unlike this guy that Jesus was trying to teach. Um, <laughs> what's that? Share. Mm-hmm. But even sharing implies trust, right? Yeah. So being rich before God or being a fool like in this parable, like this guy, the difference is in whom or what we put our trust. It's interesting, I was thinking about this when I was writing this. Um, you know, we, we call these funds that we put aside for later in our name or our family name, trust funds. Why do you think they're called trust funds? You're trusting they're gonna be there and your trust is in the bank, not God. So, um, Jesus, when, so Jesus does this a lot. He'll tell a parable to everybody, and most of the crowd is like, what? And then he'll take his disciples aside later and explain it to them. And 
he doesn't, they don't ask for an explanation in this case, but the next part of this passage that Kathleen read, Jesus basically explains everything that he taught. And his explanation of this parable to his disciples later is, don't worry, which means, in his terminology, trust God. He's not saying, in the parable or in his teaching afterwards, he's not saying, don't have anything, or don't ask God for what you need, or don't work hard, or don't be responsible with what you have, but he is saying, do all of these things with great care because it's a short step from being responsible with the possessions that you have to trusting in them instead of in God. When we trust things, when we trust our house, or our bank savings, or our trust funds, or our even people that are good people, that are responsible people, when we trust them, instead of God, we will never be able to stop worrying. Because, like Jesus says, thieves come, or moths, or rust destroy things, or in our cases, inflation happens, or the bottom drops out of the bank, or we can't pay rent, or we can't find housing, which is a real problem in this church right now, Um, these things are problems, and if we're trusting in our money to fix those problems, we're never going to be able to stop worrying. Jesus is saying, if you are God's child, if you are mine, if you are, he's not saying this, specifically, but we can imply, if you are under the wings of the mother hen, don't worry about your life, because your life consists in more than your stuff. Do not worry about the physical things that you need to sustain your life, because your life is more than that, always. And the whole thing depends on God, not on things. It doesn't depend on clothes, which represent our external protection. It doesn't depend on food, which represents our internal strength. There's more to life than the physical. Yes, we need those things. But Jesus says, look, if God takes care of ravens or fragile flowers, he's certainly going to watch out for your needs. So it's interesting, in Luke, this version of this teaching of Jesus, um, Jesus says, if God takes care of ravens, in Matthew, he says sparrows. Sparrows are little and insignificant. They just, there's a lot of them, they're everywhere, they don't really matter. Um, I mean, to most people. Ravens, though, are a category of unclean animal, according to the Bible. And so, it's like, in this case, Jesus is saying, in, in Matthew, Jesus is saying, Nobody cares about sparrows, but God does. So if he cares about those things that are insignificant, of course he cares about you. In this case, he's saying, even the ravens, the unclean ravens that eat dead stuff, God cares for. So obviously he cares for you. He also makes the point, which I think we all know, but that doesn't stop us from worrying. You are literally not going to live longer by worrying. You might live shorter. 
Definitely not longer. Our life, literally every single part of it, comes from God and is sustained by God. Where in the world do we get this crazy idea that it comes from money? We as God's people, this is to your point, Lorna, can afford to be generous 100% of the time because we are his, he knows us personally, and he knows what we need. I have, this is not, you know, Jesus says to do your giving in secret, and I take that really seriously, but I also think sometimes we need testimonies of people giving, um, so I'm going to tell you a, a quick story. When I was, in 2015, I lost my job at a previous church, and I had nothing to go to, and uh, Paul's income was being drawn off by some other things, and so we were a little bit financially precarious, um, and it took me a couple months to, find, to get a job, to get any, any kind of income, and then we had a few extra expenses that came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, a friend of mine who has lived her entire life on the poverty line um, messaged me and said, my car just broke down. It's the one thing that was enabling her to get to work. And she said, and I need, and please pray. She wasn't asking me for money, but she said, please pray for this amount of money so that I can fix it, so that I can go to work. And I felt like God said, you give it to her. And I was like, okay, God, <laughs> um, she has financial problems. I also have financial problems. There are plenty of people who do not have these financial problems. Ask one of them, please, to send it to her. Nope. Nope. So I talked to Paul about it, and I was like, um, I think God wants me to send her this amount of money. Okay, if God wants you to do it. So we sent it to her. It helped her. We did not go under. We didn't suddenly get this giant bonus. I still had to um, struggle through the expenses that we had, and I still had to wait to get a job. But God did provide, and that gift did not make a negative difference to our situation. Um, there's also stories about tithing. I've been taught to tithe as a really little kid, and so even though a lot of my life I have not had a lot of money to work with, um, I've always been really intentional about giving at least 10% of my income to the church, whatever church I was attending at the time, and, um, and I know there are other people who maybe learned about tithing later, and they had to kind of work up to it, but you can work up to giving with God. God, I'm trying to trust you. This is completely new to me. It feels scary and uncomfortable. I don't really think I can afford this. How much do you want me to give? Maybe God will tell you, like he told this church, 2%. Start with 2% of what you, come in, what you take in. And when you're faithful with that, he might bring it up to 3%. And you'll discover that God is faithful to provide when he's asking you to cooperate with him in this work. Um, we don't, at this church... We don't have a rule about tithing. Um, the Old Testament, it was a rule that tithing was actually the minimum. Then there were all these other offerings on top of it. So you usually were, would end up giving like 25% of what you had to the temple. Um, we're, we don't hold people to that rule, but it is a really good guideline because, like Paul likes to say, 
10% of what comes in is enough to hurt a little, so you have to trust. But it's not so much that it's going to completely, usually, put you under. And you, can, you will find, if you're doing this out of a willing heart and trusting in God, God does take care of you. This does not mean that suddenly you're going to be rich and have a bazillion barns and you're going to be able to retire early and enjoy the good life like the guy in the parable is trying to do. I know some very, very faithful people, people who love Jesus, who have been living their lives for God this whole time, who cannot get stable financially. And I don't have a short answer or even an answer <laughs> as to why that happens. But those people can still tell stories about how God showed up for them just when they needed it. And I believe that this is why churches is, exist, so that when there are people in those situations, people who are not in those situations, can come around and help and take care of each other. Um, because we can be generous, because we belong to God, and he knows what we need. So, I, this is not a health and wealth gospel. This is not a, if you pay this seed, then you're gonna, it's going to be multiplied. Um, that our financial security is not necessarily assured, but a rich soul is always, in this life and also in the next one, eternally better than a rich body and an empty soul. And that's what happens in this parable. This man invested everything in having full barns and there was nothing in here. And so when God says to him, okay, so you have these really full barns now, but you're going to die, so who's going to get the stuff in the barns? The man wasn't generous. He, he's not saying, Jesus isn't saying there's no benefit that you can get from having material possessions here. Of course you can. But no one's benefiting from this rich man's because he's not going to benefit from it in the next life, and apparently he has no family. So nobody else is going to either. This is the other reason why we can afford to be generous with what we have, even if it's little, because we cannot take it with us, and we can bless others and be blessed in the process. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's the treasure? Love, specifically, Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. When our souls become rich toward God or toward Jesus, he, it means that he and not our possessions owns them. Somebody is going to be in charge of our souls. And it can be our money. Really, this is why Jesus doesn't pick some other thing when he says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and God at the same time. 
you can't fill up your soul with money at all. <laughs> um, but you can fill it up with God. And when our souls are rich toward God, he's the one who's in charge, not money, and he's the one who's trustworthy. This goes so well. I'm glad you shared the story that you did, Kathleen, because um, talking about none of this other stuff that I'm trying to get or do is making me happy. I think I need Jesus. That's, that's this. Good thing she figured that out before the barns filled up. Um, <laughs> when our fo- souls are full of God, instead of empty because we have exchanged our souls for money, we will be rich no matter what. And just keep in mind, Jesus is telling this parable to poor people. He's not saying to rich people, sell your possessions and give to the poor. He's saying this to poor people because the richness is really in Jesus, in God, and he knows what we need. If our treasure or our trust is in what we have, in our own hard work, in our storage facilities, or in government assistance, or in the help of friends. Listen, God can use all of those things. If we have those resources, we can use them. But if our trust is in them, we will spend all our time running around and worrying. So, real question. How can we invest in rich souls this week? What are some ways that we can invest in our souls to help them become rich toward God? Worship? I'm surprised you didn't say something else, Ron. You've been... Oh, okay. Prayer? What's that? Sharing Jesus? Say more about that. pastors this week, this isn't part of the sermon, but I'm going to tell you anyway, um, and one of them is starting a sermon series about how you, pre- how you listen to God, and we were, he was like, what would you two, me, me and this other pastor, what would you two say, um, how do you know when you're hearing from God, and we talked about a bunch of different things, but one of the things I said was, it really helps to know the word, it really, really helps, because I don't know about you, but I tend to get lots of, I have lots of thoughts. You maybe have noticed. (laughs) Sometimes they come out of my mouth. Um, And my brain runs around like crazy, and I don't, and sometimes it's hard to tell which is really God's thought and which is my thought and which is maybe some other thing. Um, Knowing the word of God is one of the best ways that you can invest in your soul because even if you don't fully understand it, right away when you read it. If you 
persist, if you practice it like you're learning an instrument, if you are just intentional to spend a little time in it every day, you are going to start to know what God sounds like. And then you will be able to do that kind of self-direction that, yes, it's easier to hear because maybe you do need to redo your kitchen. I mean, we need to redo this kitchen. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so there's usually the questions are not bad versus good. It's good versus good. And so we need God's help to understand. So I would say all of these things, worship, prayer, sharing Jesus, but all of those things come out of our building our relationship with God partly and maybe mostly, especially at the beginning, through reading God's word. So let's encourage each other to do that. These things are things that take practice. We need help. But let's keep encouraging each other to fill up our souls with God to be rich before God because he is the one, not our money, not what the banks do, not what the gas prices do. He's the one who is going to sustain us. He's the one who's going to prepare us for the challenges that this, this life throws at us. And he's the one who's going to enable us to enjoy the next one. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, it is sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, easier said than done to trust you and not the things that we can see and touch and uh, put in the bank. But Lord, we know that those things are ultimately not trustworthy. And while we need, we need them and we need to be able to use them responsibly and well, um, and it's actually okay to find enjoyment in this life too, there are bigger things at stake. And we really want rich souls before you, ahead of anything else. We pray that you will give us very rich souls and that we will be, out of that richness, we will be generous with each other and the people around us. We thank you that we can trust you, and we ask that you will help us to do that more and more and see that you come through. In Jesus' name, amen.